0: Hey folks, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, the space where I sit down with the world's most interesting people and direct-to-consumer. I'm your host, Tim. So we're back. <laughs> we're a little late, but we're back. This is Series 1 of 2022, and I have the pleasure of sitting down with a select group of brands from across the DDC ecosystem to unpack how they're navigating what is turning out to be a pretty interesting and challenging consumer landscape. On this episode, I sit down with Chaz Olajadeh, founder of Sir Dogwood, a curated online marketplace and inclusive community for Swank Pups and their satirically minded pet parents. We explore how to build a community, balancing acquisition and retention, using SMS effectively and key learnings from the pandemic. Before we get into it, I got a question for you. If you're buying something online, do you check the reviews? Of course you do, we all do. But what if the reviews are fake? That's exactly what happened to Toma Target in 2011 when he bought a camera based on shoddy reviews. He got stitched up with a bad product, so decided to do something about it. Launching Yotpo, exclusive partner for this series Yotpo makes it easy to get verified reviews from your customers then display it on your e-commerce site in your marketing like social media ads 10 reviews can uplift conversion by 53 percent, but 100 reviews can more than double that yeah that's big numbers so if you're in e-commerce and want more customers check out yotpo.com that's yotpo.com enjoy the episode Chaz. welcome to the podcast how are you and where are you
1: Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm doing well. The sun is shining. Uh, I think we're completely into spring right now. Winter's over, so I have no complaints. Um, and I, yeah, I live between Chicago and Amsterdam. Right now, I am in Amsterdam for the next month and a half, and then I'll head back to Chicago. Um, so yeah, just enjoying life in, in sunny Amsterdam
0: lovely i agree i think you're right i think the tide has turned and we can officially call this spring there is that weird crossover period where it's it's hard to tell still wearing a lot yeah. of big coats even yeah, though it's like it, you know
1: yeah it's snowed here in april i couldn't believe it never happens um so but i think yeah finally we're past that we can exhale <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I, i'm curious sure the- summer <laughs> I'm curious before we get into the conversation. So wh- why the split between Amsterdam and Chicago? I- I'm, I'm going to admit that it's not a natural split of, of destinations. So I'm, I'm curious yeah. why-, why those two cities.
1: It actually has nothing to do with me. It has to do with my husband. So my partner, um, he works for a Dutch company. And they have offices in different cities around the world, including Chicago and Amsterdam. So an opportunity opened up for us to move out here um, for a project he was working on. And so we did that. Um, But we still have family and friends and everything back in Chicago. So Um, we're here until we're not. (laughs) Of course, we came out here and we said, okay, we'll be here for two years. Then it was three years. Now it's been five years. So um, yeah, it's been quite a while. Um, And so every year we just kind of ping pong back and forth. So that's, that's my life these days.
0: Very cool. So I, I kind of usually start these things with a bit of a rewind as you'd imagine. So I'm keen to understand like, how did like Sir Dogwood start? Give us the inception of the brand.
1: Yeah. So um, back in 2013, um, I was working, I was in Chicago. I was working for a contemporary art museum, um, something I had been doing for about 10 years or so at the, at that time. And my husband and I brought home um, a scrappy dog by the name of Winston, um, a salt and pepper miniature schnauzer. And um, we, we got him home and I just thought, okay, sort of, you know, let's get to it. I got online and I was like, all right, I want to find the coolest, most modern, fun clothes, accessories, toys. Like I really want to get out there and see, you know, what I can find. And um, my goal was to really shop small as well. I didn't kind of want to go to my neighborhood big box store. I really wanted to shop small where I could. So I went online and I looked and I looked and I looked and. Um, very quickly, two things became um, apparent. The first was that I really wasn't finding the sort of modern, fun dog accessories that um, I was looking for. Um, things were very much like branded or um, boring or um, <laughs> I don't know. I just I just wasn't finding kind of like really fun sort of um Avant, not avant-garde, but just edgy things. Design-led like sort of Edgy stuff. design, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah design yeah, yeah. for yeah. things. So that was the first thing. And the second thing is I was really seeing that the pet industry itself wasn't very diverse. Like I was finding, you know- some of the smaller brands that I did see online um I wasn't seeing people who looked like me not only you know the founders didn't look like me but even on their blogs I remember going to one site and I just looked and I was scrolling and scrolling on her blog to see if she talked to anybody who didn't you know any person of color any anybody who didn't look exactly like her and it was just like going and going and I was like, oh my god you know this 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 is crazy so um, kind of let all that sink in. And then I started doing a ton of research. Uh, I spoke to a lot of my friends who, and I had some peers who had recently launched their own e-commerce brands, not in the pet field, but just kind of to pick their brains, Um, you know, did a ton of research as much as I could. And then uh, a few years later in 2016, I launched Sir Dogwood um, with kind of the, the dual missions of, You know, trying to move that needle, trying to highlight a different type of pet parent um, and and trying to move the needle on making the pet industry a bit more inclusive um, and aligned more with like my experiences, my own experiences, um, friends and family's experiences and Also tapping into some of the research and the data that I found, which suggested that in the U.S. specifically, um, pet owners of color are the most um, rapidly growing segment of pet owners. So what I was seeing online was not jiving with um, kind of the research and also what I was experiencing in my own life. So I really wanted to tackle that, Um, you know, I think that the. The statistic is something like 70, um, no, I think it's 67 million households have pets in America. And I think that um, BIPOC pet owners are a big part of that pie. So I was really kind of trying to reach out to them.
0: That's interesting. Uh, Yeah. I'm curious why. Why do you think that was underserved? Do you think people just weren't thinking about it? Because if it's, you know, like a big market as a business person, it feels like it's a natural fit. Was it like, yeah. Why why do you think it wasn't there? People just weren't thinking outside the box.
1: I think that was part of it. I think there are a lot of um stereotypes around um particularly black pet owners of color that a we don't exist. <laughs> I remember when I was doing research and I would, you know, pitch and kind of tell people what I was thinking about. They're like, you know, oh, black people don't Black people don't have dogs or they don't have pets or they're not as into pets as maybe, you know, other groups. Um, so, you know, complete stereotypes there. Um, maybe that, uh, I think there's another stereotype that black people don't invest or spend as much money on their dogs. Um, so I think that's another part of it too. Um, so I think that there were just kind of these, um, these sort of incorrect information about, you know, the modern kind of dog owner and, and, and what we look like and what we could look like. Um, so
0: yeah. And I'm curious then, like, um, super interesting. I feel that this is like a, a classic startup story, right? You find the problem, <laughs> do some research, and you're like, I'm gonna go and do it. Was yeah, there a period cool. where you were kind of like dipping your toe in and kind of doing this? You know, you were in the art world and were you kind of like, I don't know, I hate side hustle, I hate the word, but whatever. Do you know what I mean? Was there a period where you yeah. were kind of like exploring it and then you went, right, I'm just gonna go in, you know. I'm just going to jump into this head first. Or was it more sort of start stop and you kind of like made that transition pretty quickly?
1: Definitely the former. I it was my side hustle for probably like a year where, you know, before work during lunch and after work, I had my laptop out and I was working on research, working on getting the site up and running, working on making new relationships in the pet community. Um, So it took a while to do all of that. And then all the nuts and bolts of just getting um, an American LLC up and running, like all of that stuff, I just worked on while I was also working for the museum. Um, and I probably would have continued to do both. But then that job opportunity for my husband that I mentioned before came up. And so at that point, it was sort of like, well, I guess this is the universe telling me um, that I need to kind of go 100 percent into Sir Dogwood. Um, and so that's what I did. So I I quit my job and then I I worked 100 percent onto Sir Dogwood.
0: Um. I'm curious to understand, you talked about it a little bit before there, but I wondered if it happened during your research, but you're quite a curated sort of, um, I don't know how you describe yourself, an online retailer as opposed to maybe a direct consumer brand. How did you kind of go about that? Was the relationships you built during that research, did they sort of form into the brands that you would then work with and partner with? And like, what does that curation process look like now? Like, do you scour for brands? Are they coming to you? Is it a mixture of both?
1: It's a mixture of both. Um, I consider myself an umbrella retailer. um, And so I sort of, I'm always online, always looking for emerging brands, new brands, brands that are creating modern dog wear um, clothing and accessories from all over the world. So. My goal is to really go niche as much as possible um, because uh, so there's a, my my uh, target audience. I like to call them highly engaged pet parents. So these are people who I, I think it would kind of make sense to back up and kind of talk about <laughs> that type of person, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's you. not for everybody. Right. Yeah. Like I get it. I know it like it's not for everybody. But the highly engaged pet parent is. Um, a segment who, um, just to give you a few examples, like they might have two Instagram profiles, right? They might have their own personal one and then they have a separate one for their dog. Um, They're happy to celebrate milestones. So their dog's gotcha day, um, adoption day, their dog's birthday. Um, You know, they enjoy dressing up their dog for special occasions to take them to the dog park. They have play dates with other dogs. So these are the folks that I'm kind of talking to. Um, they consider their dogs, not just a pet, but part of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm looking for um, brands to work with for the store, I'm looking at, okay, what do they carry? Is it something that I haven't seen at a big box store or at like every other pet shop that I've you know seen? And also, um, are they carrying those niche products? So for instance, I'm looking to stock things beyond kind of collars and leashes and bowls, but really drilling down into those sort of like niche specialty ca- um, categories. So things like eyewear, loungewear. Um, like, right uh, recently, last week, I just launched um, with a brand called Small Stuff. They have a line of, it's called their hotel collection, it's loungewear. So it's bathrobes and then um, like a bath slipper toy and like an eye mask toy. This is Do Not Disturb. And within the first day, like sizes were selling out and I, I had a feeling they would because it is so niche. I mean, that's something I haven't seen anywhere, but yet, like yet, and still every dog, you know, we all have to bathe our dogs. Um, So it just seemed like a natural fit that bathrobes would do well. um, And they have, so long story short. Yeah. I'm really looking at, okay, where can I find those really cool um, specialty categories that people can't find everywhere else?
0: you are talking to a highly engaged pet parent.
1: <laughs> yeah. When I talk, when I kind of like talk about who that person is and what they do, I either get, you know, the skunk eye where people, ju- I can see the, distance, <laughs> right. Where they're just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or I see people light up. Like that's yeah. me. Um, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It just, yeah you know, either or, you know, there's no middle ground there. So.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I think it it is a very binary concept, isn't it? And it feels like that's probably gotten more so. Like I remember as a kid, like we've had dogs forever. And even as children, I think our relationship to the dog has changed. And maybe that's because now I own the dog and it's not like my mom's dog. But yeah, it feels like, I suppose, dogs, pets probably particularly because of, you know, the pandemic, you know, there's a whole other element to this. Like it's just become more of a thing. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. Um,
1: Absolutely. That's something I think about a lot. The the progression of the family pet from the way it was several decades ago where you had a dog, the dog was in the yard. Yes. Um, you took the dog for a walk and that was it. And now, especially in places like London, like I'll see, you know, Time Out London will have pages and pages like, all of the different things you can do with your dog. You can go to a dog only movies, dog only social meetups, like, like basically, and that's my delivery. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. You go grab it. That's a good segue. Okay,
1: hold on. I'm going to put this yeah. on mute. No worries. Okay.
0: That was quick. Yeah. Hopefully that wasn't was very too long. Quick. But- <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. Um, okay. You were telling me, let's just rewind a little bit. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about pet ownership in London. You were saying about you can take your kind of dog everywhere.
1: Yeah, London is on it when it comes to, (laughs) um, you know, socializing with your dog. I just see so many different activities that happen there. Things like dog specific, um, you know, movie times where you can go to the movies and bring your dog, Um, dog focused cruises, dog focused Pubs that have, you know, happy hour, bring your dog. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really do think that's the difference between, you know, pet ownership back in the day and the way that it is now. It's really, it's almost like you and your dog can have sort of a shared social life in a way (laughs) Um, because dogs are allowed in so many different arenas now in the way that they weren't um, even 10 years ago
0: yeah totally yeah the mm-hmm. attitude has changed hasn't it kind of across the board you know i think people are more willing and there's like yeah just a bit of a shift in the movement um yeah. i'm keen to talk a little bit more about the nuts and the bolts of of how you're approaching kind of like being a modern brand yourself i want to talk about cost of acquisition yeah. <laughs> cags so yeah. my sense is it's getting higher and higher um I'm keen to understand how how are you approaching this? Is this something that you spend a lot of time on? Is it something that you spend a lot of money on? You know, is it working? Is it it really challenging to make it work? What's your perspective?
1: Yeah, um, it's absolutely true. Costs are getting higher as um, somebody who has a small business. It's definitely something I think about a lot um, because we do have limited budgets for things like that. so for me, you know, I think I, I, it necessitated sort of a shift in perspective for me, um, you know, not seeing my small business as something that, okay, gosh, we don't have the budgets and, you know, what a bummer and this is stressful and I'm going to lose sleep over this, but kind of like shifting the narrative and thinking, okay, you know, having a small business, being a small business owner, it's actually, I think, um, a benefit rather than a detriment, particularly to larger um, businesses. Large corporations and businesses are looking on the marketing side, are looking to tap into small business owners. They're looking to help them with support, with resources. um, And it's a win-win for them. So for instance, um, things like Small Business Saturday, I don't know if that's in London, but it's um, something that um, we celebrate, not celebrate, but it's something that we have in America that, um, is around American Thanksgiving, right before the big holiday shopping season starts. But um, around Small Business Saturday, I've been able to work with large corporations who, um, you know, I'm able to then leverage their massive followings to help amplify my brand and attract new customers through their promotional products projects. Um, and then for them, you know, it's a great opportunity because they're. Seen to care about small businesses and aligning themselves with the idea of small business, and that helps. um, That's a good look for them, right? And it like yeah, helps yeah, yeah. bottom line. And I've heard from them; they're like, you know, people aren't interested. Sort of like what you were saying earlier: people aren't interested in hearing about, you know, how I don't know if I can drop like big, but like how Target formed, right? Like yeah, they yeah, yeah. Smaller businesses, like, yeah. and what they're doing, and and and. How they're helping their communities and sort of what drives them and that those sorts of stories are being tapped into um, by the American Expresses by the Google's and and so that's been a really great way for me to get in front of um, bigger audiences um, than I would be able to on my own um so yeah so that's been great um I've also look to partner as much as possible so partner mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. like-minded other brands um, particularly on social media for things like instagram giveaways things like yep. that um, they are low cost or no cost sometimes completely no cost yeah yeah uh, yeah we really ramped this up in q4 of 2021 and we're continuing to do these partnerships in 2022 Um, and that is something that's particularly advantageous for those of us who don't have those huge budgets. You know, we're just kind of let's tag team, let's do this giveaway. We'll get in front of your audience. You'll get in front of mine. And, um, it's a really easy way to kind of grow those new customers and get in front of new eyeballs.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. I think that's a great way of looking at it, right? Like it can seem like a massively daunting task if you're a growth stage brand, but like switching that up a little bit and using the fact that you're a growth stage brand to your advantage mm-hmm. in a low-cost way <laughs> that's pretty good yeah. that's a, that's a pretty good win-win I'm, I'm keen to understand then so that's super interesting like unique ways of getting out to a wider audience what about the kind of audience and customers you've currently got like retention kind of strategies do you mm-hmm. guys use like i know sms is weirdly i know sms is big all over the place but whatsapp is not as big in america as it is europe so it's mainly kind of like actual text but is sms getting close to your customer in those sorts of ways is that something that has been useful to you guys how are you kind of approaching those sorts of things
1: yeah, that's something that we launched in twenty twenty one. So I um, work with YachtPo on that. Um, on that, as along with a few other things like loyalty and retention and um, user generated content, some strategies that we have around that. But um, SMS is something that we rolled out last year, and it's been really, really great. It's been beneficial for for me, particularly. Um, when I sort of put email and SMS, um, open rates and, um, kind of traffic from each side by side, um, I definitely see lower unsubscription, um, rates from SMS than I do from email. Um, and I also see, um, higher, um, carts with SMS versus email. So if like, I just pulled up the analytics from the last campaign that I sent out, um, on both, and I had about three times as many orders from the SMS campaign than I did from the email campaign, um, and it's much quicker <laughs> too, which I love. It's so fast and easy to like send out an SMS campaign versus the design and the time that it takes to to craft a, a, a you know decent email blast. So um, I'm a pretty big fan of SMS. Um, I'm not going to get rid of email anytime soon though because yeah, I do think yeah I'm a proponent of having as many touch points with my audience yep, as possible. Yep. So I'm not I'm not gonna kind of throw it out, but um, I, I was very happy to be able to layer SMS into my marketing strategy.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. I think it's kind of a part of the mix anyway. Like the email kind of has to be there, even if it's a bit more surface level um, and kind of broad. But that's really interesting. I hadn't thought, thought about the like SMS being quite easy because you can't really you can't design an sms it's main, mainly text right so like yeah, to text, some degree yeah you can like i mean it's not like twitter necessarily i assume, assume there is a limit that you'd want to impose yourself you don't want like a huge long text but like making it shorter text format only forces you to be quite creative and like
1: yeah you encourage have to be that
0: incentivization right
1: Exactly. You have to be creative. You have to edit because you don't have a lot of room. Um, and you um the way that yapo works, they have sort of templates that you can build into your um into your blasts. So it's sort of uh-huh. like, here's your message, like here's and it's very guided. So it's like, oh, you might want to go back and add this to make it even better. So these great prompts that help you make it as effective as possible. Um and they also have the capability to add a GIF, So I always do that too, like a fun little dog related. Ah,
0: nice, nice.
1: Um, and then you send it out. It's great. I love it.
0: So, I mean, this kind of dovetails nicely. You, you mentioned it before, but I'd love to understand from your perspective. It seems to me that like community building is like, you know, not that it wasn't before, but it seems to be more apparent now as part of the kind of modern brand playbook. How are you kind of thinking about that? Do you think it is part of the playbook? And how do you kind of engage with the community more broadly?
1: Yeah, I think, especially for me and for the mission of Sir Dogwood, I think building an inclusive community uh, community with fellow pet parents is paramount. Um, and our commitment is really kind of going back to what I was talking about when I launched. You know, the pet community um, wasn't very inclusive. That's something that I'm always thinking about. You know, how can we? How can I support more women led brands? How can mm-hmm. I support more um, BIPOC led brands? Um, and I really try to do that by amplifying their, working with them, um, highlighting the brands on the homepage. I have one part of my homepage that never changes that talks about, you know, how I support other, um, black owned pet brands. And I don't plan on changing that. So really putting them forefront in the forefront, um, increasing their visibility on our store, on the store, on our blog. Um, I have a maker's crush, um, uh, article or blog, um, Feature that I put out with um, different makers, so mm-hmm. different, um, you know, female founded brands, different BIPOC founded brands. So continuing to do that on the blog and then with giveaways, like I said before, with um, through our social media platform. So in that way, I'm really trying to show this different type of um, pet parent and a different type of person who is interested in pets and in the pet field. Um, And then kind of on the brand side, um, I'd mentioned UGC before, user-generated content. That's something that I think helps to um, give customers a space, like a like a safe space to share their photos of their dogs um yep. in their dogwood gear. Um, because they know, you know, we're not this is a safe space, we're not Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you're not gonna get trolled, we get it, we're one of you. Um, and so you know, they can share those photos, they can review the products that they bought on, on Sir Dogwood, they can give feedback, and it's just kind of like a nice space. Um, for them to kind of highlight the love of their pet, their love of their dog, um, and then we highlight that on our home page as well,
0: yeah, that's super cool. yeah, I think the 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 safe space thing is super interesting because, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, that highly engaged pet owner is quite a unique individual, right? And so, like there is a yeah, I think that's kind of cool that there's this place where they can come and just sort of like, be accepted and not have to worry about you know maybe the slight in you know um sort of intricacies of them loving their dogs so much which other people might find you know slightly odd Um, yeah I know you work with um a couple of kind of like charities so like One Tail at Mm -hmm. a Time and Care Mm -hmm. how does that kind of work and, and do you think that like being kind of focused on you know, impact and purpose and having something beyond profit. Does that help with with the brand? You know, does that help? Does that resonate with customers?
1: I think it does. I think brands sort of must align themselves with a mission and a purpose in 2022. That's sort of, like you said, larger than just um, about the bottom line. So we do support one tail at a time and care. Um, both of them are tackling some of the issues that I'm thinking about, and that I'm interested in as a Black founder in the pet space, but just from a different angle. So um, taking one tail at a time first, their primary goal is to end pet homelessness in Chicago. Um, But they're also thinking about ways in which the pet welfare space can be more representative of the citizens of the city. So um, for instance, they're looking at you know, veterinary medicine and why is, and this is something I had no idea about before I, you know, started and started Sir Dogwood and started working with them, but, you know, why is veterinary medicine, um, one of the least diverse fields in medicine? Um, so they're really working on that. They just opened, um, the Ellis clinic, which is, um, an animal shelter and clinic in Chicago. And they were very, um, purposeful in, um, making sure to hire a black surgical team. So it's led by a black surgeon. And, um, so it really kind of mirrors the community that it's in, in a way, I think a lot of other pet welfare organizations, they're just not like, their minds aren't there. Like they're just not doing that work. Um, so that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm working with them, um, that they're tackling those sorts of issues and then care, Um, which stands for the Companions and Animals for Reform and Equality, their goal is really to bring diverse diverse voices to the pet welfare industry while advocating for inclusive paths to pet adoption. Um, So this is something that's close to my heart as somebody who had a very difficult time when I first started looking for a dog and I would go to all of these shelter events in Chicago and I would fill out application after application after application and I was not getting callbacks and I didn't know why I was sort of like, is it because I work outside of the home? Is Mm. it because... We don't, you know, we live in the city, we don't have a huge sprawling lawn Mm -hmm. um, that's fenced in, we just have like a small little patch, like I think a lot of people do in the city, but I thought maybe that was it, I was sort of racking my brain like why, why am I having such a hard time adopting a dog so, um, and I still don't know why, I mean, who knows, but um, for them, I think their focus is really you know we have all of these shelters some are very overcrowded um and the ultimate goal is to clear these shelters so how can we do that one of the ways that we can do that is to kind of change the idea of who's a good candidate for adoption mm-hmm. and what does an ideal candidate for pet adoption look like um and their argument is sort of the more inclusive adoption is the faster we can empty shelters and i think they're And by inclusivity, I think they're talking, I know they're talking about BIPOCs, but they're also talking about seniors Mm -hmm. um, who are sometimes not really looked at as ideal pet parents or, you know, differently abled people might not be looked at as um, ideal pet parents. So they're really kind of doing the work, going into pet welfare organizations, giving people a script, giving them the tools to kind of reformulate the way that they look at who is the best person to adopt a pet, um, in order to get those shelters cleared out as soon as possible.
0: That's so interesting. I didn't realize how pervasive that kind of like stigmatization is across the pet industry, right? Like from the consumer perspective, you obviously seen it and now you've seen it. It's like structurally across all of it. Yeah. That's so amazing that there's those groups. Um, and that's so cool that you're working with them. I really think that's rad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, i was so happy to find them.
0: <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Um, I'm keen to switch gears a little bit. Um, What would you be doing if you weren't running Sir Dogwood?
1: So I think I touched on this earlier. My background is in um, marketing and art history, which is kind of a weird combination, but um, my undergraduate degree is in marketing business. And then I... Worked in Manhattan for a couple of years um, in the, the development office of for a nonprofit, and I, much to my parents' <laughs> chagrin, I guess I decided, you know what, I'm gonna just go to grad school and study art history. Um, I'm really into the arts. I want to get into it. I want to know more. Um, and so I moved to Chicago to um, to pursue that. And it was one of the best cho- um, decisions I ever made. So I'm so glad that I did it. But for about ten years, I worked for um, different contemporary art museums in Chicago, um, and I loved it. And I, I still art is such a big part of my world. Um, every time I travel, I try to hit up at least one or two museums. Um, that's just my passion is what I love second to dogs. Um, (laughs) So I'm sure that's what I would be doing. I'd be working for some arts organization, some art space that in their communications department, helping to get the word out about their next exhibition for sure.
0: Yeah. Nice. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a nice side hustle to running a uh, (laughs) dog brand (laughs) or an umbrella, umbrella retail brand. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I suppose taking a slightly broader lens then of like, what's the best thing about running the business and what's the most challenging right now?
1: Oh, um, the best thing is I just love being my own boss. Um, I mean, that's also my biggest motivator other than just to see SirDog would be successful and to continue to grow it and scale it. And, um, right now I have two part-time employees. I- I'm you know, hoping to grow it to the point where they're full-time and I can keep adding people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, that's definitely a goal, but I also just per on the personal, the personal side of things. Like I just never want to have a boss again. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just uh, I, I think that having running my own business is something that I think just dovetails so well with like who I am and, um, my skill set. So I just want to continue to see how far I can take it. Um, so that's that's definitely the best thing about running my business. And I love the flexibility yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, you know, all I need is Wi-Fi and my laptop, and I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most challenging, I mean, there are a ton of challenges. Um, getting press is challenging. Uh, we we definitely, I think, hit one of a great peak in um, 2021, kind of for not a great reason, but around the Black Lives Matter, yeah. uh, most recent movement that happened um, and last summer, um, there was a renewed or a new interest in shopping black, shopping small. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. bloggers started saying, hey, these, you know, check out these, uh, the top 10 black owned pet stores in the US you need to know about. So we started getting um, you know featured and things like that and then like larger places picked us up we were in BuzzFeed a few times so like that was really great um so I think what's challenging for, for me is just how do i continue that momentum mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you know 2021 i think was probably i think the best year for e-commerce ever uh, people were again for not great reasons we were all quarantined so i think um and everybody was working from home so from home so i think people were just in front of their phones and their laptops more than usual and um they were shopping more than usual um so now that hopefully knock on wood fingers crossed things are opening hopefully they will continue to open and stay open the question is for me um you know how do i continue that momentum how do i um you know keep it going in 2022 and beyond. So that's something that, you know, with some of the strategies that I mentioned earlier with the UGC with getting people yep. to come back. Um I'm hoping that those really pay off for me going forward, but it's a it's a challenge, you know, how do how do you keep that momentum going?
0: I mean, if you've got the answer, I'm sure there's plenty of other people that would love to know. <laughs> I'm keen though to just follow that slightly um that, that, that theme. So like what what does in an ideal world so dog would look like in like 2025 do you want stores do you want to keep it you know completely online like what would the idea look like to you
1: yeah that i would love to so i have pre-pandemic i was able to do um some in-person things so some pop-ups mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Like shopping events and things like that. And I absolutely love being able to engage with that pet parent community face to face. Um, I love it. I love getting the feedback. I love geeking out over their dogs. I love seeing their dogs, meeting their <laughs> dogs, all of it. So um, I would love to um, you know, maybe in like five years or something, not just open a shop, um, but open, I mean, I think this kind of dovetails to my idea of pub culture and like what that means, like more of like, I don't know, like a hybrid showroom Mm -hmm. program, public programming, community building space um, that is like a brick and mortar space. And I don't, I don't know if anybody that's doing that now, but it's something that I would love to see for Sir Dogwood, just as again, a a safe, friendly space. That's um, that people can come and, just be enthusiastic together about their dogs what they're doing Um, I can show them what's going on with their dogwood we could have programming we could have educational programming Um, I would you know love to have like vegan cooking classes how you can cook for your dog things like that would be so fun Um, so yeah having a space where I can I can do something like that over and above just retail would be amazing for me
0: I think you've got it like there's such a tactile nature to the dogs, right? Like Mm -hmm. grooming, training, the food stuff, you know, there's just, there's such a a plethora of things that require, you know, the owner and the dog to be somewhere as opposed to virtually that I think that idea of the, the sort of like multi-purpose space is so cool. Um, Well, I'm going to bring Daisy whenever you open it. If I can get a New rover to Chicago. Well, well, maybe you can do one in Amsterdam as well. That would be handy for me, actually. Yeah, I can take a rover. Yeah, on, yeah, yeah on when we go global for <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. You'll
1: have my, the first invitation to our launch. <laughs> sure.
0: um, I'm going to round it out. And I want to know, maybe Schnauzers. what's your favorite dog breed? And what's your favorite dog or animal Instagram account?
1: Yeah, the, this is an impossible question. First of all, <laughs> my favorite dog breed—all of them—and um, I know that that's like a pageant answer, but I'm giving it anyway. That's all right. All I'll great.
0: take that. That's all good.
1: <laughs> and yeah, too many to 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 list. As far as like my favorite um, accounts on IG, I uh, I definitely have gotten to the point where Instagram has told me that I I guess. Seven hundred. Once you f- follow seven hundred and fifty accounts, you can't follow anymore. I don't know if you oh, know this.
0: Wow! No, I, I so, did. And I yeah.
1: quickly got to seven hundred and fifty dog accounts that I was following, and Instagram said, "Hey, you're done." <laughs> you're
0: you're <laughs> like, a bot, Jazz. This, this is not a human that could be doing this.
1: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, not great. I think that I can only. The fact that they only let me follow seven hundred and fifty dog accounts is a travesty. But anyway. Um, a few that come to mind at ginger underscore naps. Ginger naps. Okay. Yeah,
0: um ginger naps.
1: She, she's got a great site. She's a dog mom, but um she kind of dovetails that with um being a social justice advocate. So wow. a lot of that work that I mentioned about like care and yep. OTP. Yep. She's doing a lot of that on her Instagram, which is really cool. Um, I don't know if you've heard it. I don't know how familiar you are with this world at all. But pop by the foodie. He's sort of Instagram famous as a dog.
0: No, not, no, I've not heard. No.
1: Yeah, at Popeye the foodie, he um, was abandoned. He was a stray. I think the story is like he got thrown out of the window. His original family, oh. just like in a moving car, just threw him out the car. Um, and now he's Instagram famous. His whole thing is he goes to different restaurants that are pet friendly and there's just such cute photos of him in oh, front of nice. just like plates of fruit, which is really funny. Um, so he's great. He's just cute. One ear's always up. One ear's yeah. always
0: down. Okay. Really nice. nice. Um,
1: and then at Albert on wheels, um, he's a special needs pup. So he his back legs don't work, only his front oh. legs. Um, but he is so cute and friendly <laughs> and happy. And he has a little wheelchair that he... Um, uses to get around. And at his, if you're looking, if you're just having a bad day and you just need some inspo, go to at Albert on wheels because you will smile. There's no way you can't smile when looking at Albert. Um, so yeah, those are just, but there's so many. I mean, I could sit here and talk your ear off, but those are a <laughs> few that came to mind.
0: I think they are three fantastic recommendations of people. I, I, I suggest people highly, highly go and look at them. i look at them highly. Um, I think that's a great way to end the podcast. Thank you so much. That was great.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much again for having me. It was so much fun.
0: No worries. There you go. Massive thank you to Chaz for joining me. You can check her out at sirdogwood.com. Com. Before I go, a quick word for my sponsor, Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform to increase customer engagement, promote community advocacy, and improve retention. If you want to learn more, go visit them at yotpo.com/slash-your-basket-is-empty. And as always, if you like this episode, please, please, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time. I hope you're taking notes